0: So one of the things that we're going to talk about today, can I help you with this? One of the things we're going to talk about today is about hospitality and how sometimes, why don't we throw this up here, how sometimes we begin to think that hospitality is much more uh, and takes a lot more work than it actually does, that not everyone has to be a Martha Stewart, if you will. Um, And I want to also say, before I begin any further, that this is Scott Shelton's last week. Before he goes on sabbatical, don't get too nervous. And so if you want to say something to him before he leaves, say so this week, because for the rest of the, uh, after this week, he is going to be in hiding for four months. You may see him around town, but from what I hear, he's going to have like a fake nose and some big glasses on there just to try to make sure that nobody actually knows uh, who he is. So we only have one more week of Mr. Rogers uh, around, and then he's going to be off. So please take this week to, uh, to share an appreciation uh, to Scott for all that he does uh, for us here at ZPC. Uh, Sisters and brothers, we are continuing our look at the Hoosier neighbor, and this week uh, we are talking about hospitality. And so we're going to begin with our theme uh, from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12, verses 28 through 31, and then we will look at our second text from Genesis. One of the scribes came near and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, he asked him, which commandment is the first of all? And Jesus answered, the first is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all of your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the second text is from Genesis, chapter 18, verses 1 through 15. The Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre, and as he sat at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day, he looked up and saw three men standing near him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent entrance to meet them and bowed down to the ground. He said, my Lord, if I find favor with you, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. Let me bring a little bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham hastened into the tent to Sarah and said, make ready quickly three measures of choice flour. Knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf tender and good and gave it to the servant who hastened to prepare it. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, Where is your wife Sarah? And he said, There, in the tent. Then one said, I will surely return to you in due season, and your wife Sarah shall have a son. Sarah was listening at the tent entrance behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. It had ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I have grown old and my husband is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? At the set time, I will return to you in due season, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied, saying, I did not laugh. For she was afraid. he said, oh yes, you did laugh. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, and let's pray. God, we come to you this morning, on this Mother's Day, with joy for mothers who have given so much of themselves. We thank you, Lord, for the examples that mothers oftentimes serve for us of what it means to love and to love sacrificially. We pray, God, that you would be with us in this time as we continue to look at your word and try to understand what it means for us to love our neighbor. Help us to do so with courage and with conviction because you have welcomed us. It's in your name we pray. Amen and amen. So uh, over the last several weeks, of course, we've been talking about what it means to love our neighbor. And why have we been doing this? We've been doing this because Jesus said there were two great commands. Love God and love our neighbor. So if we as Christ followers are doing nothing else, we should at least make sure that we are doing those two things. And one of the things that we've been talking about is the fact that this also means loving our literal neighbor. The vast majority of us live in neighborhoods. And oftentimes, as we've said, when we talk about loving our neighbor, we like to keep it general, right? Let's just kind of be loving to people. And one of the nice things about doing that is it's very safe. It's very fuzzy, right? You don't really have to do it, quite frankly, But when we have to start asking ourselves the question of, do you love the person and the people who live around you? Then we have to start asking ourselves hard questions like, do we know the people around us? And have we opened up our hearts and our homes to them? But of course, that can be a scary thing. Which is why the second week that we talked about uh, um, loving our neighbors, we talked about the realities of fear. Right? That many of us have fear about going out and actively engaging with our neighbors rather than waiting passively for them to come to us. Right? We're afraid that something bad might happen. We're, we're afraid that we may be rejected. We're afraid, quite frankly, that we, we may be the weird people of the neighborhood. And oftentimes, as I tried to rest your hearts, the reality is that that will happen at times. Right, that, that sometimes you will be rejected. Sometimes you may be seen as being a bit odd. And yet, what we should be more fearful of than of rejection or of looking strange is in missing out on the amazing things that God is doing in your neighborhood that you may be unaware of. And that so often when we actually take the risk to go out and to begin loving our neighbor, we will be surprised at how we see the kingdom develop right there in our midst. But of course, in order to do that, we have to have, or excuse me, we have to make time. Right? The third week when we were talking about this series, we said that the greatest enemy probably to us actually loving our neighbor is not having time. And as I mentioned last week, if there is one sermon that you hear out of this series, I encourage you to go back to that particular one. Not because of anything I preach, but because of the conversation that I was able to have with Dave Gall, where he was able to share his story. And it was a a, a kind of a, a, a... a poignant reminder to us Uh, uh, We have to live life with intentionality. So often we are on this treadmill of life where we are going from one thing to the next to the next. And we may be doing a lot of good things, but we may not actually be doing what is most important. And you don't want to wait until it is too late to realize that you have been wasting your time on the good rather than spending your time on the important. And only when we begin to say no to some things will we then... And have space to be able to love God, to be able to love our family, and to be able to love our neighbor as we are called to do. Last week, John talked about motives and the reality that we go out and get to know our neighbors and love our neighbors, not in order to convert them, but because we have been converted, because we have experienced the love. In other words, we are not salesmen for Jesus. We are called to embody Jesus, And as we do so, whether or not our neighbors actually ever end up experiencing the love of God, or whether they reject our own love, what is most important is that we keep loving them and helping them to experience what it means to be loved. Which brings us, of course, to our topic today of Hospitality. Now, I'm not sure that I really planned this, but it is an appropriate day on Mother's Day to talk about hospitality. People who are not mothers, they can certainly be hospitable, but from my own experience, I have learned much from mothers, my own and others' mothers, about what it means to be hospitable, about what it means to be welcomed, right? Mothers almost seem to have this innate ability to to know just the right thing to cook or just the right way to listen. I have so often felt the love and the warmth of a mother and a mother's hospitality, but there's, of course, a lot of, a lot of uh, uh, passages that I could have talked about on this Mother's Day when it comes to hospitality, because the Scriptures are flooded with passages about what it means to be hospitable. We could have talked about Matthew 25, where Jesus gives a parable of the goats and the sheep, and he says, you know what, you will be welcomed into the kingdom just as whether or not you have welcomed the lost and the least, Or we could have talked about Hebrews 13 where where it tells us to be hospitable to strangers because in so doing, some have entertained angels. right? Or we could have talked about 3 John that simply tells you to be hospitable. Or 1 Peter that says, be hospitable without grumbling. Fathers... Or we could have talked about Titus or First Timothy that give a whole litany of characteristics of Christian leaders, but in both of those lists, hospitality is marked out, which is why last Tuesday night at an elders meeting, I asked them, each of them, how have you been hospitable in this past month? This is not some nice extra. This is a part of who we are called to be. But as I thought about all those different passages that I certainly could have talked about and others, it seemed to me that Genesis 18, the passage about Abraham and Sarah, was perhaps most important for today. One of the reasons, of course, is the simple fact that as a part of this story, there is going to be a birth of a child, right? That's a part of the story, is that the three strangers tell Sarah that she's going to have a kid, right? And of course, that speaks well, it seems to me, when it comes to Mother's Day. But another one of the reasons why I feel like it's important, or felt like it was a a pertinent text to us today, is because if you know the story of Abraham and Sarah, you also know that it speaks to the reality of the difficulty of not being able to have a child. Abraham and Sarah had been waiting and waiting and waiting and longing for a baby. And yet none had come. And because of that, there was brokenness. There was brokenness within Abraham. There was brokenness within Sarah. There was brokenness within their relationship with one another. The difficulty, the pain of not being able to have a child that you so desired. Churches don't always get things right. But I feel like one of the strengths that it seems to me of a church is that it is one of the few places, if not the only place, that on a day like today, on Mother's Day, we actually give voice and allow those to be honest about the struggle of not having a child, if you want one. About the pain of hoping and dreaming. And this, of course, is what we see in this story. Why did Sarah laugh? Sarah laughed both because she couldn't believe it and in order to mask the pain. And I know that even within these walls, there are some of you whose smile oftentimes masks the pain that is there out of a struggle to have a child. And one of the things that we as a church within these walls needs to know, of course, that you need to know, is that this is a space where we can be honest about those things. That this is a space where you can be embraced, where you can be loved, where your voice can be heard with the reality of the pain, whether you laugh or whether you smile. That Mother's Day is a beautiful day for so many, and yet it is also a day of pain. And so we are trying to create a space here at ZPC where people can be honest about those things. Which, of course, is exactly what hospitality is. Hospitality is about creating a space, both physically and emotionally, where people can come and be loved and be cared for and be listened to to. That's simply what hospitality is. It's very simple. But of course, again, in order for that to happen, you have to make the time for it. Hospitality, I'm here to tell you, and you know this, which is why we, di- why we struggle with doing it. Hospitality takes time. You cannot force love and listening to happen. You have to be willing to create space for hospitality to occur. That's why it is such a challenge. And if you are going from one thing to the next, you will not have the space to be hospitable. Hospitality requires us to give up our frenzied life at times in order to create space for the stranger, for the neighbor in our midst. And this, of course, is exactly what Abraham does. Abraham is there and all of a sudden he sees three strangers. And what does Abraham do? He runs, he runs to them. There is a distinct difference between simply welcoming somebody and being hospitable. And I'm here to tell you that hospitality means that you run to them, that you are excited, right? What those three strangers knew when they were running to him, when Abraham was running to them, right? A, let's make sure he doesn't have a sword, right? But B, if he doesn't, it means that he is running to us in order to embrace us, that he is excited that we are here, right? You know the difference, right? We've talked about this before. I've talked about it in my own personal life, right? I'll go home, right? I've not seen my girls, and I go home, and there are usually two different greetings I receive, and it depends upon whether or not the television is on. If the TV is on, right? We have a rule when daddy or mommy who've been away, when we get home, you come say hi to daddy, right? And when the television is on, it's like this. Hey, Dad. (laughs) Literally, right? When they're not otherwise engaged, All of a sudden, they're running up to you. They are embracing you, and you feel like you are the only person in the whole world. You know that you have been treasured. You know that you matter. You know that you are so important to them. There is a difference between a welcome and hospitality and being excited to see you. And this, of course, is exactly what Abraham does. He runs to him, he says, Can I get you some bread and some water? And then, of course, he does much more than that, right? He, he goes and he finds a tender calf, and he, he has this fine piece of bread that is made by Sarah, and he, and he, and he brings them curds and, and milk. He does all of these things so that they know that there is something special about them. And here's what's important. It, he doesn't even know them. They are strangers, But in his eyes, in Abraham's eyes, who was blessed to be a blessing, these are children of God. He doesn't know at this point that they may be the Lord. He he runs to them and he cares for them simply because he's doing this out of his love for no matter who you are. When I worked with refugees for a year, I would oftentimes get invited to go into their homes. And honestly, I usually had a lot of other things that I would rather do, but I would, you know, I felt guilty, so I said, okay. And so I would walk in, and these were poor refugees, and so every chair was a little bit messed up. They were all borrowed, right, all donated basically to them. But they would always find the least bad of the chairs, right, and that would be the one that they wanted me to go and sit in. And so I would go and sit, and they were so excited, and you could see it, and they would make their coffee, and uh, they would always make this Turkish coffee, right, that has this sledge at the bottom, and it's pure caffeine, right. This was well before Red Bull, and it was Red Buller. I mean, it was... Crazy, right? And they they pour that and then it was so cute. They would bring up like these Twinkies. It was very odd, right? Or or ding dongs or ho-hos, you know, and which was fine with me because I love a good Twinkie. I mean, but but so so you had to, but you could see, and they were just staring. Usually everyone would come out of the bedrooms, right? And they would come and they would just circle around, right? And you drink the coffee and your heart was just palpitating because of the caffeine. But it was amazing. And you could tell that you were treasured. They didn't know me very well. At all, but you could tell that you were there as the honored guest that they had created space just for me the stranger in their midst there's a difference you see between just being welcomed and being hospitable and making those who come over feel as if they are something different as if they are just special in themselves but what Abraham does is he doesn't just create physical space, he creates emotional space. Perhaps in a way that is different than what we see Martha getting in trouble for, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, where she was being hospitable but running around. Because after all of this, Abraham, we are told, stood near him. Stood near the three, I should say. In other words, he was there in a position of listening. And so he began to listen to them. And it is out of that very space where he created the physical space and then created the emotional space that all of a sudden something new is born. Or at least they are told that something new is going to be born. Right Now this is not, of course, to say that every time you're hospitable that there's a chance that you're gonna have a baby, right? No, but it is to say that when we give physical space, and we give emotional space to the stranger or to the neighbor, that almost inevitably something new begins to develop. Something new or hopeful is born, much more so than if you decide to simply stay at home by yourself and watch television. It is rare that something new is born out of watching television. And it is frequent that something new is born or hoped for when we create space to welcome the stranger in our midst. When Meg and I were in Chicago, we had a person, there was a couple in our church who were from Iraq. They were also refugees. And so one Sunday, or one one night, I don't remember what it was, they invited us over. It was our very first time to ever experience Middle Eastern hospitality, which of course is exactly what Abraham is, right? This is Middle Eastern hospitality. We went up to the third floor where their small little two-bedroom apartment was, right? He used to be a, a factory owner back in Iraq, and that got taken away from him, And so we, we went up there, and, and, and when we walked in, right, all of a sudden there was like other extended family that we didn't even know was going to be there, right? It was all of a sudden there was like this huge party for me and for Megan. And we show up and we go, and, and, and again, they didn't have much money at all, but they had this table that was absolutely, they must have taken a month of their paycheck just full of every food you could imagine, if you're imagining Iraqi food. It was all Iraqi, most of it. I had no idea what it was. But as she sat there, and, and as Val began to describe for us everything, you could see the joy, the joy that we were actually even just simply there, right? And, and, and so we began to eat. Right, she, she heaped our plates full. And honestly, I kid you not, I would take one, food, I would take one uh, a fork full of food, and there would be a little space on my plate. And by the time I got done chewing, she had already filled that in with something from another dish. I mean, we were eating and eating, and as we sat there and began talking and began listening, they began to hear our story. We began to hear their story. We were there for hours. We had expected this to be a little small affair. We were there for hours. And when Megan and I went back and sat down in the parking lot, sat down in our car in the parking lot, we were speechless, I can't really even describe to you why, other than we just knew that we had experienced God in some remarkable way. We were, I kid you not, we remember this night, even now, we were changed. Because they had taken the time to create the physical space and the emotional space. You see, this is why the Scripture are always talking about hospitality. Because it is in that created space that God does remarkable things. And what I want you to know is that this is not actually just one more thing to do. That actually, hospitality is who we are. And who we are called to be. One of the bizarrer parts of this text is that Genesis begins the 18th chapter by saying, The Lord visited Abraham and Sarah. And yet when we look, who is it that comes to meet Abraham and Sarah? Three strangers. Which is why, of course, many have suggested, and understandably so, that this may be our first glimpse into the Trinity. One of the things when we talked about the Trinity several weeks ago or months ago, I don't remember, we we talked about the fact that it is a difficult concept to understand. And yet one of the things that you have to know is that the Trinity, one of its most significant characteristics is the fact that it is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who are in relationship with each other. In other words, God, his own identity, who he is, is relationship. Which is why he desires so much to be in relationship with us, right? That's why we talk about Christianity is not simply a litany of rules. It is a relationship with God. Not only that, of course, but it is a relationship then that God wants us to have with him and have with others. Have you ever wondered why is it that Jesus says there are two commands? To love God and to love neighbor. Why are those the most important things? Because it is to be in relationship with God and in relationship with others. Why? Because that is who God is. Is and it is who God called has created us and called us to be. It is not something to do, it is who we are. Todd Bolsinger, who spoke at our All Church retreat last August, which, by the way, registrations are opening on the 15th, and then we've got a great video on the 22nd of this month. I'm just just to kind of whet your appetite, okay? Todd Bolsinger, he loves this icon. And I know Presbyterians aren't big into icons, and that's fine, but I want you to look at this anyways, okay? And this is by Andre Rublev, okay? And this is this is titled oftentimes the Holy Trinity, but it is also sometimes called the Hospitality of Abraham. And in this, you can see you have the father is actually on the left, uh, the son up top, and then the Holy Spirit, right? It's a representation, right? And they're all around a table, right? And the table is a symbol for hospitality. And then they're around the cup. You see the cup there, and that's the the cup of salvation. Another way, of course, to say salvation is whole, W-H-O-L-E, relationship. Right? And so this is what you have here in this icon. And one of the things that's pointed out is, of course, it's two dimensions. And what is the one way to make this a third dimensional icon? It is if we begin to picture ourselves right there at the fourth side of the table. And what Rublev has done is he has, he has given us an image of the reality that all of us are invited to participate in this relationship with God. That, that, that what God has done is God has welcomed us into relationship with him. And that in the same way that we are welcomed into that table, at that table, as we talk about, right, we don't just, I don't just say things to say, sometimes I just say things to say things. But oftentimes I do not, most often. And when we have, when we're standing here at the table, what do I almost every time I say to you when we are prepared to have Eucharist, that the Lord is the host, right? That the Lord invites you as the host, right? When we begin to see that we are invited into this amazing relationship with God, and then we are called to reflect that relationship and that welcome. That just as God has welcomed us to the table in whatever state we are, so too are we called to be open to others in whatever state they are. Hospitality, creating the space to welcome just as we have been welcomed. Now I could easily end it right there. But then you guys would get out on time, and that would annoy most of you. So I want to end with a P.S., and it seems an appropriate P.S. because of the fact that it's a P.S. in the Scripture passage as well. Some of you caught it, I think. It comes at the very end. It is one of my favorite Scripture passages in all of the Bible. Sarah has laughed, and we're told that she tried to deny it. And the stranger, of course, could have let her off the hook. But he doesn't, right? What does he say? He says, oh, yes, you did laugh, right? You guys need a better sense of humor. That's a really funny line. And I think what it points out is the importance of being Truthful. The importance of honesty. And I'm not sure that we always get the connection between hospitality and being truthful or being honest. In fact, I'm not sure that we always are fully aware of the fact that what oftentimes keeps us from being hospitable is that we actually do not want to be honest. You see, because here's what happens is that when you invite someone into your home, they end up oftentimes seeing you as you actually are and not as the image that you try to portray when you are away from your home. One of the, uh, I was reading a story uh, that, that recently that talked about how a nine-year-old daughter and her mother were getting all cleaned up, getting ready uh, for someone to come over and visit, and towards the end of that time, her nine-year-old daughter said, Mom, it's like you're trying to act as if we don't, you don't even have children here, which of course is exactly right. I mean, when you have people over, you try to clear up all that kitty clutter, right? Because you want to make it seem like you've got it all together. Uh, Two weeks ago, or whenever it was, we had inquirers over on a Friday night. So do you know what I was doing Friday afternoon? I was mowing the lawn. You want to know why I was mowing the lawn? I waited till Friday afternoon because I got a lot of dandelions. And dandelions, you can mow everything. And guess what happens like a day or two later? Those stupid dandelions are right back up again, right? So I had to mow it so that they would at least mash down. So that when people walk by quickly, they said, hey, we see a lot of green. And hopefully they don't realize about 80% of that green are weeds, right? But I wanted it to look good, right? And then we had a wagon in our front yard, right, that had some dead plants there. If you've kind of ever driven by, you've seen those dead plants. So what was I doing? I was wheeling that thing around to the very back. You know I was. Back where nobody could see it. Boom, right there. Perfect right? And then I was taking some stuff, right? We had some loose things. What do you do with that? I'll tell you what you do with it. You throw it in your bedroom, right? And you, you throw it in the bedroom. And you're like, mm, ah, you close that door. You latch it. Perfect. Nobody goes in the bedroom. Why? Because we want people to come over and say, oh my goodness, all they have to do all week is clean up and make everything look great. We want, and this is hard work, to look as if everything we do and have is spotless, as if our life is perfect, Which is why Christine Paul has this kind of great quote where she says, hospitality is an invitation to mutual truthfulness. In fact, the very reason why, it is so vulnerable to us is the very reason why we should do it more because what you are offering to people is you are offering them an invitation to be just as honest as you were when you invited them over and all of a sudden your kids weren't nearly as good as they are when they're away from home or when they couldn't quite clean everything up you see it is a gift i am here to tell you hospitality is a gift when you allow people to come over and see how you actually live rather than how you try and pose and the reality is in a culture like ours where we so often are spending so much energy and convincing everyone else that we have the perfect marriage the perfect children the perfect job the perfect house the perfect everything that when you invite someone over to see the reality of the mess of your life you are inviting them to be honest as well. And that is something that our society and this culture is desperately in need of. So we have an opportunity. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to give you homework. I don't have great confidence you're going to do it. Can we just be honest? But I'm going to give it to you anyways. And that homework is this, is that in the next two weeks, I'm giving you two weeks. And I'm not even saying you have to do it in the next two weeks. But in the next two weeks, I want you to invite somebody into your home. Now look, you can clean up a little bit. You can scrub the toilets down. Scrub the toilets down. But what if in doing that, in inviting someone into your home, what if rather than spending so much energy trying to make sure that everything is just right, what if you spent some of that energy in just creating space and creating physically and emotionally for someone that you may not know all that well to come over and just simply be? It may bomb. Or it may be an opportunity for something new to be born. You'll never know if you just stick at home by yourself. But what might happen if we begin to offer space for people to be honest, to be cared for, to be loved? How might God work in our midst? How might others be changed? How might we be changed? If we started looking at hospitality as less as one more thing to do, and more as one more thing that we are becoming as we grow closer and closer to the God who has welcomed us. Hallelujah. Amen. Please stand.